Leo, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Geek House with RevOps at AVM. Thanks, Romeo. Thanks for having me here this evening. So, Leo, we will go dive deep into it. Usually how I do it is that um, I um, let you tell your, your story a bit with your, your experience. Obviously, I will interrupt you on the way to find a little bit more information. But for the folks out there, uh, Leo or Leopold uh, is a client of ours and uh, um, really we worked uh, really cool together. I think one year ago we were talking about all this uh, content and all the, I had a workshop at Amsterdam Standard. But he will tell you a bit more about uh, the company, about um, what's uh, what's his aim in this world, right, Leo? And uh, then later on we can just um, learn a bit more what's the perspective of a CEO and of a tech founder on this whole um, RevOps and ABM. So Leo, before we get started, I saw you love uh, rafting, you have two sons, and you made this analogy of rafting and, and, and the business. So what business are you in and um, how did this whole business evolve around you? Okay, sure. Thanks. Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Leo, Leopold, full name. Uh, I'm based here in the Netherlands. Uh, I built my office uh, in Amsterdam. I already, uh, I'm 43, I started uh, 22 or 21 years ago as a, as a student actually, I was in my last year when I just started a small agency and um, I was, let's say a very average with very poor quality uh, internet agency trying to serve uh, everyone here. Um, and it was quite successful. Uh, so within a couple of years, uh, we had around like 20 guys in our agency and oh, I wow. started to, uh, run into capacity problems for the first time. Uh, what was the agency doing actually? Uh, well, we were making uh, very uh, poor websites uh, for everyone who had a little bit of money, uh, and but we also tried to uh, target corporates. So mm -hmm. we were really uh, making yeah, websites and apps for everyone. Uh, no specialization, just a few young uh, guys in their 20s, uh, you know, trying to uh, earn some money. And that's basically how we build mm -hmm. our experience. Yeah. And then uh, after like a couple of years, seven, eight years, um, our projects became bigger, also longer. Therefore, you know, it's really hard to run a project agency because, you know, an agency is used to start stopping projects. But when, you know, software gets bigger, you need, uh, yeah, a bigger team to actually work on software for longer. So, uh, yeah, the capacity problems in Amsterdam became worse and worse, actually. So I started outsourcing my work to actually many locations in the world seven, eight countries tried that. Oh, wow. Uh, learned a lot, failed every time. Uh, so there was no success. Not because Where did you outsource or how, how did you Sorry? come up? Where did you outsource yourself? Like No, I, I, I didn't outsource myself. I outsourced the work to other yeah, yeah, the, the work, yeah. mm -hmm. and, um, and it always failed. So first I thought, you know, these guys are crazy and stupid. But if, you know, if you failed like so many times, you have to think harder and then you have to, you know, find uh, the error in yourself. 
So it, it actually turned out that we sucked uh, a lot at, you know, uh, doing project management. It was even hard to manage the, the projects locally. Uh, so, you know, then it's impossible to, you know, outsource a project and expect a good quality when you do it somewhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so at some point I met my co-founder, uh, Thomas, in mm-hmm. Poland. And together with Tom, actually, uh, for the first time, I did manage to build like a proper pro- uh, project, uh, a legal tech platform back then. So Tom first started working for me as a freelancer, but in no time, he actually, you know, showed me that he had much more skills than just uh, being a developer there. He also brought in his, his former colleagues and, you know, it was just a success. So what we started doing is was just building software development teams for clients in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we have been doing now since 2012. Um, yeah, so there in the Netherlands, there's a huge shortage of skilled developers. I'm here, you know, I can find those clients. I know what's lacking there. I can explain them uh, mm-hmm. that a part of their team sh- should be somewhere else. That's strategically the best decision. So have your core team here locally in the Netherlands. But, you know, once your core is settled, you can just expand your team everywhere. And that is what I'm trying to explain them. That's what we've been doing for many years quite successfully. And uh, yeah, so we built a company of around, um, well, now we're a little bit smaller than the beginning of the year, but we are with uh, around 135 people in four offices in Poland and one office in the Netherlands. Uh, 95% of our clients are Dutch. Yeah, that's... that's... I was always wondering, Leo, like... um... You guys in Netherlands are super entrepreneurial, and uh, mm-hmm. like there are a lot of companies from the Netherlands, such a s- small territory, and still a lot of entrepreneurs. How how come? Like how come the country has um, so many successful businesses? What's the success uh, well, ingredient? I don't, exactly, I don't know exactly, but there's one story uh, that is, you know, uh, Dutch people founded the first real company in the world, which was the VOC, which traded, you know, with uh, with Eastern uh, Asia in mm-hmm. 1500, 1600. Uh, basically, also a lot of bad uh, stuff happened there, like trading slaves. But they were, uh, you know, they were the first one to build ships. Uh, you know, go out there to get the spices here, get, you know, expensive stuff that we didn't know here. Uh, so, yeah, th- this is, let's say, uh, how Amsterdam was built and how Amsterdam got rich. They were mm-hmm. traders, you know. And it's also because, of course, the Netherlands doesn't have a lot of resources themselves. We are a pretty flat country. We have a lot of cows and pigs. And that's basically <laughs> it. There's nothing in the ground here. There's no oil. There's, there's yeah, there, there's not much. So you need to import and export a lot to, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think because of that and because of how small this country actually is without too much resources, we became this company, the country that is very much focused on building businesses, you know, a lot of services here. And and that's that's basically what I can say about that. Yeah, I think I think this this mentality of uh, discovering new things, right? Like yeah. uh, it's... Um, now nowadays i think similar with estonia what they do right like the country yep. is extremely small yep. so the only way to you know um expand is to think globally so every single startup out there needs to think uh, needs to think globally yeah exactly yeah so, that, so that's great story so basically you were trying to outsource and you found this uh, 
co-founder, Tomas, uh, on some freelancing platforms, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and uh, then you started Amsterdam Standard. So what what were those learnings? Because you were saying that you learned a lot in this uh, outsourcing, I suppose, a lot of cultural differences also when it comes to how you guys with this exploring mindset and entrepreneurial mindset look at things versus how is um, in other other countries. I'm just trying to understand the the learnings and, and give give to our audience some kind of uh, takeaways from these experiences. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, it, it's not only about cultural differences. Of course, you know, you can talk for like a few hours about how important it is that there's like a cultural match. But I guess I won't be telling anything new then. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, it was also just, you know, not even if you are not able to manage a project locally successfully, And maybe it Mm -hmm. sounds weird, but I still encounter like so many companies who have a hard time, you know, to produce proper software, even with the local team. This is just hard, right? This Mm -hmm, is still mm -hmm. very hard, even though there's like tons of books written about it. It's like so many proven uh, methods and processes to do this. It is hard. It will always be hard. Uh, You can always learn. You will always fail. Uh, But if you don't know how to do that, then it's like extremely hard to do that remote. So that, that's basically it. You need to acknowledge that project management is like extremely important. Um, mm-hmm. and back then we we just didn't have that. So, so at some point, you know, you just need to professionalize all your processes. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's also, you know, still what we are uh, trying to explain to new clients. So of course, you know, we need to understand the company's business. We need to have like cultural fit. Everything should be there. But you need to, you know, come up with the best possible processes, be very strict on that. And, you know, if everything is in place, then the most important thing is that you need to work on the relation. So we still, after all those years, you know, working between like more than 100 clients in the Netherlands and teams in Poland, we don't believe that you can build software when you're fully remote. So we still, you know, invest that people come to our offices and we still uh, invite mm-hmm. our clients to visit us in our offices in Poland. And, you know, mm-hmm. we push our people to come over to the Netherlands to visit their clients because, you know, to build this relationship, that's actually what makes the difference. If you are in a project together for a long time, you know, if you don't know truly what this company is doing, if you don't have the full context, if you don't know what tension is going on there, what you know their real goals are, how the atmosphere is in that company, then it's like super hard to actually you know make like good micro decisions that you have to do, let's say pretty pretty much every hour when you're writing software. So mm-hmm. you know this is what we uh, just know, and this is what we what we as a company are, are pushing on to build that relation, see each other. Then, you know, if you have a good relation, if you had a beer together, if you had a dinner, if you got drunk together, you know, there's always, you know, there's much more tolerance yeah. when things get, uh, uh, you know, when, when it gets like. Uh, yeah, when things fuck up. When, th- when yeah, things exactly. fuck up, when there's a deadline or when you need to do over hours, then at least, you know, you know, who you work for, that that guy is actually a person who probably also has his reasons, you know, to, to act and behave like that. And that is, that is so crucial. So without that bonding, there is no chance that it will ever be a long-lasting, good and sustainable relationship. 
So yeah, that, that's that's what we learned already back then. And since then, you know, we've only tried to improve our processes and way of working to actually get that done, which was, uh, I would say, very successful and easy to achieve uh, right before COVID. Of course, you mm -hmm. know, then we were like confronted with two years of uh, being fully remote. There was, uh, I mean, I, I still remember the times that I had to sneak into Poland because, you know, the border was actually closed. Uh, <laughs> Sneaking. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were no flights for like months, everything. So it, it got a little bit harder back then. And since then, of course, you know, a big part of the company is working remotely, uh, which is fine because, you know, it's it's like, it, it is effective. There's, there's nothing uh, on a short term that is wrong with that because, you know, the output is there. People are happy. Clients are not complaining. It, it's fine. But for the long term, I do feel that people have to come together. Otherwise, you will actually lose that, you know, cohesion mm -hmm. between people. Uh, you know, and, and also how will you ever, you know, onboard new people in a company where there is actually no, no, no one coming to the office? So we actually started those conversations again that we would like to have, you know, our people coming back now and then. Uh, so that at least, you know, at, at some days you can expect a crowd that you can just, you know, uh, enjoy the things that made office life so nice that you can just go there. You can complain about your life. You can just, you know, get inspired by people. You can see new people. That's that's so super important. And yeah, so that's... Yeah, and, and, and I think that what, what you say about how you work with clients, the this, this human touch, right? Like yeah. you just said, like getting drunk together. And I think... Um, not that we are promoting any kind of uh, abuse of uh, alcohol consumption, um, yeah, but I'm I'm, th I'm thinking of uh, uh, ABM, and I I, I cannot yeah. make this uh, analogy right. Um, like you have two type of uh, marketing the the same way you have two types of businesses in in, in your space, right? Like we work yeah. a lot with software uh, consulting companies. And we see that uh, there are one um, culture which you just described and the other one which, let's say, comes and also brings the the heart and not only the brain and, and not only the hands that code, right? Um, and gets involved in the building those products and, mm -hmm. and gets involved in understanding the customer much more and then have that human touch with them because by having that, you can be more relevant, right? Like, like by exactly. having that, because you understand them, you have these human connections, right? Yeah. And the same way with marketing, right? Like you have one type of marketing in which you dive deep, you peel the onion, you really yeah. want to understand, yeah. or you have just some programmers that you outsource them somewhere where you have no idea where this city is, and they just bring you back the code, right? Or they just bring you back the exactly. um, whatever task you gave them. So it's a very task-driven type of uh, outsourcing, right? Which is, yeah. okay, both of them are in a way software outsourcing, software development companies, yeah. but with totally different approaches. And the same with marketing. ABM or the typical marketing can be the same. It's like, yeah. really, like you say, what you do, marketing and you have this bad connotation when you hear marketing, uh, but it's it because why? Because people fucked up this whole industry. The same with programmers or so outsourcing. Yeah, you know, when you say IT outsourcing, it's like a 
I don't know, you think of someone with whom you cannot freaking understand your, each other, right? At, at least that's our connotation with it. I don't know what's your connotation being in this business, but uh, I know it from Corpo, right? Like when I worked for a uh, different corporation, when somebody told me IT outsourcing, I was like, okay, fucks. Now I will spend again a lot of time uh, describing what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but going a little bit um, to what's happening um, these days. So you build this company um, and you are the type of organization in which you have a lot of Dutch clients, right? Because of this idea of relevance and this idea of uh, really getting to know them well. And uh, because there are different type of approaches, right? Like others that go for the U.S. market and 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 uh, try to penetrate different uh, different regions. Obviously, losing their relevance on the way because um, it's really hard to be everywhere, right? And to be um, with the bandwidth that you that you are having. Um, did you try that? How? Uh, what's your experience on that? On expanding outside of Netherlands and and yeah, what sure. kind of learnings you get from there? So, um, yeah, we are active for more than uh, twenty one years now in the Netherlands, and that is because it is really easy to do business in the Netherlands once you are trusted and once you have a mm-hmm. little bit of network. So, when I graduated actually from uh, my I'm a hotel school student uh, and hotel school people are actually super commercial people and what is hotel what, what do you mean hotel, hotel schools hotel management school so ah, I was, okay. you know I was I was trained to become a hotel manager at some point but I oh, uh, wow. I already started my career in IT but hotel school people you can find them everywhere in the world. They are in all the services industries. They are in banks, some hotels. They, you know, they found a lot of companies. Um, so when you have a network, and you know, when when I graduated, my 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 my, my first two clients before I actually graduate, one was Vodafone, you know, a very known uh, telco, uh, mm-hmm. and the other one was a, a very famous magazine. So I just started with two really nice clients in my portfolio, and actually from then, the next twenty years. I didn't have to do anything to get new clients. So, but the, the thing that we always tried to maintain in the best possible way was our reputation. We always wanted to do the utmost for our clients. And if something went wrong, if a client was unhappy or, or I don't know, we fucked it up, you know, we always went all the way to make sure that, of course, you know, that we kind of could save that project, but most important that we would keep up our reputation because this mm-hmm. ecosystem, the Netherlands is small within the Netherlands. Actually, the region where we've always been active is Amsterdam, uh, hence the name Amsterdam standard, you know, mm-hmm. and in Amsterdam, if you're walking around in Amsterdam for like uh, longer than 10 years, I would say that, you know, like half of the ecosystem there. So mm-hmm. at some point people just know that you are like, you know, trustworthy guy that you actually have good capacity. And that was mm-hmm. basically it. That was this, that was how we just you know grew in the last uh, uh, mm-hmm. I would say twenty years. But since twelve years, I'm active with our uh, people in in Poland. So I always actually look back at the last twelve years, and that's it. We just you know kept our reputation up, and it, this was enough. So through our network, 
we got like you know new new leads new clients i would say that every year we were able to onboard four to six new clients and maybe we lost one to two clients mostly because of reasons that i don't know they sold their company they run out of budget or whatever but you know we always tried to just you know stack the revenue and mm-hmm. that actually you know led to like a growth of around 15 to 20 people net per year which was mm-hmm. like a perfect organic growth and that is just let's say what what was great for me and and you know my co-founder Thomas and Radek you know they they that that was just perfect for us we were actually not more ambitious for many years than that at some point you know we, we thought you know how will we actually get the next 100 people on board so by then you know we decided to do a merge with another IT company mm-hmm. um, but basically that was it so all those years um, we didn't do any marketing like literally like if we spend 100 euros on marketing in those 12 years it's it's already a lot uh, what a life and uh, of course so <laughs> what we did was uh, I, I i always call it reactive sales so somebody is like mm-hmm. to you they come to you and say hey this person told me that you guys do a good job or i know you from this previous project because of course there's a lot of job hoppers that you serve and then you know they move on to the next company and they call you again and that was our life for like many years and it was nice wow you 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 guys were like the government institutions right like the yes. only like a ticket counter like you yes. just sit and you obviously you are much much nicer than the um people giving you ticket in the in the eastern european at least uh, ticket counter offices but uh, so you were saying there was a bunch of people coming because of your reputation yeah. no marketing yes. and yeah. then and what was, happened and it was easy uh, so the, the, the how, how we got our clients in the netherlands was like so easy and effective uh, so we we actually tried to do business in other locations so i had a sales mm-hmm. office Barcelona for like four or five years, oh. uh, but not because the market was so amazing, but uh, simply because I wanted to live there. So, you know, and mm-hmm. we were there once on a company trip and we thought, this is great. This is an amazing place. Let's just open up an office. We knew a Dutch guy who also lived there. He also wanted to do some side business. So he started to do our sales and we, uh, we thought, okay, you know, once this is uh, bigger than Amsterdam, we'll just move over there and have a great life. Um, mm-hmm. But it was hard. But this is, was purely lifestyle choice, right? Or it was yeah, you course. made some I, kind of yeah, of course. But it's it's like a long time ago. So this was like mm-hmm. in the end of my twenties. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah. So sometimes you know you just follow your intuition, and you, you know, and, and that's that's yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, no, so no judgment uh, then. And it was nice. But after like five years, you actually see that the way you actually close a deal there and the time it takes. To, uh, to close that deal. It's like so much longer and the budgets are smaller than in the Netherlands. And mm-hmm. it is very hard to build a sustainable business there. So at some point there was like a huge crisis actually there uh, in Spain. I think it was uh, around 2013 maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. And we just you know closed the office because it didn't make sense uh, to have that anymore. But did you get some clients from oh, from we them? had like 15 20 clients i think uh oh. those years but you know never like the the big interesting projects that we that we found here in the netherlands 
Um, and then again, we tried it. So we tried uh, for one year uh, to, to to build up a business in London. So we, we, we mm -hmm. invested there. You know, we sent somebody over, a sales guy from Poland. He went there. Again, no success. And we learned a lot. You know, it's really hard to do business there. They, they you know, in the Netherlands, really, it's it's as simple as if somebody knows you or if I meet somebody in a bar tonight and we have like a nice conversation for 15 minutes and we share one beer and we kind of trust each other, then tomorrow we can have a deal. Uh, uh, yeah, I suppose if you speak Dutch and you are yeah. local, it's like it's, much yeah, easier. It's but... Like that. but if you go to London, you know, you need to have like local reference projects. There's like a lot of legal work. There's a lot of quotation. You're never the only one uh, who's doing an offer. Uh, in the Netherlands, I hardly encounter that if they invite us that there's like another uh, company. Tomorrow, for the first time since a long time, I'm pitching. For a, for, for, for a potential big one. But yeah, that, that hardly ever happens. You know, there's mm -hmm. also like a lot of easiness and comfort here. So, you know, mm -hmm. if, if I know you, if I trust you and you can do this for me, fine. You know, why would I look further? Because I'm uh, also like, maybe like there's like some, some laziness here. You know, if, if, if this mm -hmm. is fine, why would you look further? So that, that, I, that is my experience for a long time. And in London, it didn't work. So, you know, it was very slow again. It was really hard to win something. So again, after a year, we had to close the business there. This year, at the beginning of the year, we tried in Copenhagen with a very experienced sales guy. Also, no success. Uh, well, maybe that's also because this year is like a super hard year uh, for everyone, I guess. But yeah, um, so so we tried. So and I will still try uh, because it, it would be great, you know, to build up a business in the UK, in Germany, in Scandinavia. That would be actually perfect for us because we are you now based in the middle of that. Uh, but it yeah, just didn't happen yet, which is fine because, you know, it also just uh, shows how good our business and how good our network and reputation here is. Because we are comparing and then you, you still draw the conclusion, no, it's much easier and better here. But, you know, then, you know, I, I was just sort of bragging that the first 20 years we were not doing anything and the business just walked into our office. And sometimes we really had to, you know, close the door because it, it got too crowded inside. Wow. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, and then it became 2022 and 2023 and everything changed, of course, in the world. So since then, you know, we actually had to invest a lot in what you call RevOps, I still call it marketing and, you know, and sales because uh, we are just starting. It's marketing with... and sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah for it, sure. it is, it is. But, it, 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 you know, we finally, after all those years, started to acknowledge that this is an essential part of what you need to do as a company. And actually, you know, the, the, the ease of the last couple of years now, you know, became actually, you know, our, yeah, our weakest spot because we were so not prepared for this that yeah at some point you know you see that the economy is changing you see that clients are facing less and less budgets uh, investments in the whole world are going down and that basically you know started us to to think about you know how will we solve this thing what, what are we going to do in the future and then you think okay let's start something and within like two three months we'll have results but now I think we are like one year later since we really, you know, started our efforts. And only like since three months, I see that it's, you know, that it starts to pay off and that things are changing and that my sales agenda is like extremely full. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge investment. So, um, 
yeah, I, I think it's it's actually great that this happened. You know, if I look back at all those years, I would say that our company was like was like finished for maybe like eighty percent. Uh, but a, a company without, let's say, a proper marketing and sales team and a strategy for that, yeah, it's just, uh, I would say, in danger. Yeah. So yeah, I think we had our workshop like one year ago, exactly in November. I guess so. Yeah. When I let you win at the poker that night, I still yeah. remember. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what happened this year? Like, what 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 happened? Uh, what happened? Well. Um, we started working and I mean, yeah, so uh, I know that it's, it's called RevOps and the whole thing, but for us, it was just, it started very simple with just the implementation of doesn't matter how it's called, right? So, it doesn't you know, really it, for us, it was first the decision to start working with you guys. You guys bring the knowledge, you, you show how other companies are doing it and you come you know, with HubSpot and HubSpot, of course, is super big. It's, it's an amazing thing. But the first couple of weeks, you know, you really get frustrated and angry because you want to get those results, but you need to set up everything and it's complicated. You need a lot of people, all the people in our company who, you know, were working with this and we actually, you know, formed quite a big team, you know, from zero people working with marketing. We, uh, I think, collected like eight people uh, who all together were like, you know, put in a marketing team and uh you know, How many people you have now, by the way, in marketing and sales? Uh, we still have seven or eight people in the team at the oh, moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Excluding partners, because I'm working with like four partners uh, who are also mm -hmm. doing their uh, duties every um, every day. Um, so, yeah, we started doing with that. And I, I will not lie. This was just, let's say, uh, a hell of a job. It was frustrating. It was like... You know, you have to invest all those things. And the only thing that I was thinking back then, why didn't we start this like a year ago? Because, you know, mm -hmm. when, when we started it, it was actually too late. Uh, because, you know, you really could feel that the economy was going in, in, in the wrong direction. So the funny thing is actually that, you know, the first quarter where we were doing this implementation was still our best quarter ever. You know, the results, the, the revenue and the profit was the highest ever. But then by the end of March, uh, April, May, uh, you could really see that the clients felt the impact of what was going on in the world. And what you can actually see, at, uh, let's say this year, maybe not even now, but this year, it's just a combination of like three, four crises coming together. So in, in my mm -hmm. whole history of, you know, like uh, being an entrepreneur for like uh, 22 years, I have seen crisis, but, you know, most of the crisis actually just boosted the tech sector. And for the first yeah. time here, you could actually see that we were, uh, you know, going to be hit. Uh, and that is mainly, you know, caused by the high global interest rate. It is, of course, you know, a side effect of what was started uh, in Ukraine by Putin. Uh, you know, you got the energy crisis. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a tech crisis uh, last year in, in the U.S., uh, so, you know, the VCs all got got scared, you know, they advised uh, all of their portfolio companies to be much safer with the budget because the next investment rounds uh, will probably be at a much lower evaluation and all those things together for the first time. By the time way, um, sorry, sorry for interrupting. What yeah. what caused those uh, tech crises in US in your view? Uh, that was just the, 
um, the, the interest rate was going up. So if you mm. look at how those big tech, uh, you know, the VCs were funded, you know, they, they mm-hmm. of course, they have their own capital, but they also use a lot of bottle, right? Mm-hmm. They, they just borrow money, you know, and they, mm-hmm. you know, they still have to pay interest for borrowed money. And those uh, interest rates are like peaking. So, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, the, uh, the Fed uh, re- uh, interest rate is still around like 4.8 at the moment or even 5, yeah. which is mm-hmm. like an all-time high. Uh, mm-hmm. And before that, money was like almost free, you know. So at some point, yeah, you know, yeah. those companies thought this is going in the wrong direction. And of course, there was like the fear for a big recession coming up. Uh, you know, there was also the time when the energy prices all around the world were super high. So that, you know, will just cause a, a recession later. So that was the moment that, for example, Facebook lost like 70 or 80% of their yeah. value on the, on the stock exchange. The layoffs. This, mm-hmm. just, this is just, let's say, this created a whole ripple effect uh, in the whole tech economy. So, you know, first those things happened there. And I would say, let's say six months later, all this stuff arrived to Europe. Uh, and of course, we are not working for clients that big, but, you know, in also for those VCs, you know, you have like companies in like five levels. We are probably working for like tier uh, four and five. And mm-hmm. also there, you know, at some point they just advised their portfolio companies, you know, be wise, you know, there will be a recession this year. There will not be as much investment budget available. If you need extra funding at some point, then as a founder, you will dilute a lot. You know, if you mm-hmm. need money at the wrong moment, you know, then you're probably yeah. you're back against the wall and you just need to accept every money and every valuation. Otherwise, your company is bankrupt. And that mm. is why many companies in April and May, after analyzing their results of the first quarter, thought, ah, shit, this is going in the wrong direction. The results were not, you know, up to the budget. So they had to scale down a little bit. And they were all trying to fund you know, they were all trying to raise new money and they all felt this is going, this is not going in the right direction. So what we've seen then was that all around Europe, you know, uh, many of the tech companies laid off around 15 to 20 percent of their people. And I still have to say not necessarily developers. You know, if, if, if I look at the layoff rounds among our clients, we saw that they, for example, you know, fired uh, salespeople or country managers or, you know, or, or let's say the, the, the youngest developers who just joined the team. A lot of the seniors, of course, were saved because, you know, those mm-hmm. are still... Like, yeah, it's harder to recruit. The yeah. cost of recruitment is higher. Exactly. So, uh, but that, that is what happened, you know? So the, the growth was out of the, out of the budget. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of resignation. So at some point, then as, as a, you know, as a company, like we, you, you just end up with a pretty big bench, big bench of people. Mm you will probably not allocate to new projects. So in the past, Mm -hmm. we always had many, many leads. You know, it was like at some point we we had so many leads that we didn't even have time to respond to all of them. That was two years ago. Mm. And I still remember that back then that we had like 50 open vacancies. It was crazy. You know, we we didn't know what to do. And then two yeah, years yeah, yeah. I think IT recruitment companies were making a lot of money like two years oh. ago because they were making a lot of fees from placement, right? And everybody was going into this. Find people. Yeah, I also heard recruiters actually complaining that it was like so hard to, to yeah, you know, exactly. help people. But 
And that, so there was like a huge shift, you know, within two years from 50 open vacancy to a bench of around 15, 20 guys on the bench Whoa. and no leads. So nothing. Mm. Uh, and if that happens to you for like the first time in all those years and you have like no clue what sales and marketing actually is, then, you know, uh, yeah, then you need like uh, guys like you. <laughs> Who actually, but I uh, think what 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 you did really good is you took this relevancy and these stories and this human connection that you had, and um, you didn't hide it away, but you put it out there on LinkedIn. And I saw that, um, and this is this is what uh, makes you different, right? That you not only just do marketing because you can do always marketing, like you do another ebook and you do another whatever. Mm -hmm you know, boarding webinar or whatsoever, but you actually looked at what you are good at, what you're not good at, and then you you actually implemented it. So you tell us a, a bit about uh, the, how, how like a founder and a CEO uh, doing this whole LinkedIn uh, journey, because from like zero, absolutely no posts, right? Up uh, like a year ago, I think, mm -hmm. um, you started to, to gather the audience that you had in Amsterdam and others into mm -hmm. LinkedIn. And now whenever you post something, you um, it, it gathers very good engagement. Uh -huh. And I suppose yeah. conversations with you. Afterwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, in, so indeed it was, um... It was a whole journey and it was like super uncomfortable because, oh, you know, uh, I, I also like to hide you know, behind my screen <laughs> and uh, I don't mind to be on like a real stage, but like the online stage is still kind of uncomfortable. But indeed, you know, at some point, you know, as a, as a founder, I wasn't the CEO back then. Uh, now I am again, but back then I wasn't. As a founder, you just need to take responsibility because you're actually the only one who can do something with your company at that point. Um, mm -hmm. And indeed, you know, when we started thinking about it and when we started thinking about all those experience in those 20 years, then indeed, you know, we, we have probably a lot of interesting insights. We, we learned our lessons. We have a great network of people who are interesting. You know, if we, if we tell their story, Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that was that was a realization, and again, it felt uncomfortable, but we just started doing it, and because we really didn't know what would work and what would be effective, I just started doing like everything. So I wanted to test all the channels out there, all the possible marketing channels. Of course, we have mm -hmm. HubSpot, you know. So you know, in HubSpot, you can probably see everything coming together. But we just had to start our basics. So, you know, we yeah, started. Yeah, you needed traffic. We mm -hmm. needed traffic. You know, we started mm -hmm. our AdWords campaign. I started working uh, with a writer who, together with, you know, I produced indeed a lot of content. Um, we did start cold, uh, cold emails, cold email outreach. We did organized webinars. Webinars, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I started my podcast, you know, and there were like around, I would say, 20, 25 initiatives. And I was Whoa. just tracking, tracking everything. And, uh, you know, after like three, four months, you could already see like what is working for us and what is not. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you cannot measure everything. But what we find out, found out is that when you do all those things together, at least it works. So that is nice. Right? <laughs> like after like three, yeah. four months, I think we 
at some point, you know, in, in April, May, we had our foundation done and we actually started going out there. Uh, and then since July, we scaled up a little bit more channels. We started also with indeed our content strategy on LinkedIn. We started with the cold emails. We started with uh, just, you know, connecting with people on LinkedIn. And then, you know, when everything came together, we went from like zero leads in six months to like 20 leads in one week. And this really changed like in two, three weeks. And it was crazy. Uh, well, let's just add a small note to mm -hmm. our audience that this was not a spray and pray type of marketing because you guys have a very good expertise in and you have some subject matter expertise in some industries like for example mm -hmm. the art tech business yeah. right yeah. as far as i uh, uh, know so the whole uh, idea of uh, marketing and network was not just done for all the uh, audiences, you yeah. niche down on some industries. Yeah, of course. So you, you made us think about our ICPs, our uh, ideal customer profiles, uh, which was also nice. You know, it just uh, yeah made us, uh, made us realize that indeed we are strong in four of those domains. So one indeed is ad tech. We have uh, good expertise in uh, ticketing, booking platforms. And we are also uh, pretty strong, but also very excited about uh, yeah, companies that do something with sustainability. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so that indeed helped us to come up with better materials to have like more tailored messages to target the right companies uh, and indeed get valuable conversations out there. Uh, and it was a huge game changer for us actually. So what worked, what didn't in this year from all these things that you guys tried? Um, so I think that the combination of everything works. So I, mm -hmm. I'm still hesitant of closing down some channels that, for example, do not bring us like leads instantly. Uh, mm -hmm. One thing that is like still on my mind is, for example, Google AdWords. You know, we get a lot of mm -hmm. traffic, it costs a lot of money and there is like no conversions. Uh, yeah, yeah. even though we have like a lot of, uh, leads at the moment, we, we see that Google doesn't work. So we've been scaling down, you know, campaign by campaign and yeah, so that's, that's, that's a little bit weird maybe, but I'm still hesitant. A note on this uh, Edwards for you. Um, we have the same and, and I heard it from other peers also mm -hmm. like, um, AdWords is all about intent, right? Like you just need the right person to search for yeah, the right sure. thing. But when they search, you need to be fucking there. Because and that's why it's so scary to turn it off, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you might not have anything for months, but then maybe a big one uh, lands in, right? Like our when we look at all of our clients, the best brands, known brands, come from AdWords, like whatever, like, yes, software houses are great, but when we talk about corporations mm -hmm. that want to do ABM mm -hmm. um, in Poland and outside, and they go on fucking Google and they put ABM agency, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And if you're not there, you're fucked because you might have some big company coming your way, right? And uh, when you do the return on investment uh, or the return on ads, um, ads spent, 
you need to look at it year to year, right? Yeah, like that's otherwise it's really hard. Yeah, just a yeah. note uh, note there. But continue yeah. with I'm curious about Google uh, about uh, cold uh, emails because we are not really a big promoter of it when we know that it's very spray and pray type yeah. of thing. These all automation tools are getting a little bit obsolete because you don't have uh, personalization. Now with ChatGPT, it's so much fucking spam that it's it's like crazy. So I'm yeah. just wondering how 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 you see this. Um, we have tried two suppliers before, and there were like zero uh, zero results. And mm-hmm. I still wanted to try it. And I was following a guy, a Dutch guy, Jan, who built a pretty cool agency, in my opinion. It's called coldagency.io. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just uh, sharing the right content. And I, I really believed that with, you know, with that strategy, it would work. And, uh, and it did. And it, uh, for sure, it already brought me like, I don't have the dashboard here, but I'm quite sure that they brought me more than 100 leads this year who actually wanted to start a conversation. And I was also surprised that so many people actually respond in a very nice way that uh, it's not interesting for them right now, but please call me back, for example, next year in February. Really, people really take the time. But what I've also well, learned is that one email doesn't work, but it's it's always about the sequence. You need to prepare a proper sequence. Usually you see that they only react after the second or the third email, so when this is done in like uh, in, in a good way, and of course they targeted it nicely, you know they actually made like specific campaigns for our specific ICPs, and and that really worked. And I I believe that the combination of inviting someone on LinkedIn to connect with you and then sending an email would even work better. So we are you know together with the, this provider, I'm tweaking that. Uh, we're also preparing, you know, these auto-generated uh, videos uh, so that get even gets like more personal, like forty-five seconds uh, auto-generated AI videos that we will deliver to those. Uh, with HeyGen, yeah, yeah. Well, there's already like a, a bunch of uh, providers there, but indeed mm-hmm. that's one of them. And I, I really feel that at some point, you know, because my my LinkedIn campaign was on, so I had like the proper content there uh, twice or three times per week. Then I was just, you know, inviting everyone in the network that I wanted to be connected with in combination with email campaigns to the same companies, actually. And then at some point it got so, so busy again. I remember and, that. And uh, something yeah. very important. Um, yeah. And we need to take this holistically, right? Like you cannot rely. And, and this is what um, people make mistakes. And one thing you need to know is that Leo has the authority right has the authority in the industry and so just making content or just inviting people and sending email is not enough mm-hmm. while for leo is enough because he has the authority and he has the background and he has the experience so you and he's the founder and he's the ceo so when you do all this you cannot put um a junior rep call him uh, SDR, right? With absolutely no authority to start to go out and do all these activities because the number one open rate, the number one open rate uh, indicator or what helps the open rate is who the fucking sends this email, right? People want to talk with similar people like them 
people want to talk, from people with from whom they can learn. It's yep. a peer-to-peer relationship. Or they want to talk with people that were already in this position and they solved this kind of situation in the past. So yep. if I'm in an ad tech industry, I'm a new startup, just got Series A, I want to talk to Leo because Leo in the past 15 years or 20 years or whatever, he was working with ad tech company. He saw the evaluation, the evolution of an ad tech company and he knows what's happening in the industry. This is very important to, to mention the subject matter expertise and this is what ABM wants to, 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 to point out. So no offense to SDRs or any junior sales out guys out there you can be the facilitators you can still interact create great content take that case studies authority of your companies of your founder ceos and elevate them you can do that but sorry there is no alternative than the founders and ceos getting out there and doing what leo is doing yeah yeah and and then getting out there is actually not the biggest problem but what I've also experienced is that the, the follow-up uh, leads, you know, the, the conversations, because a lead usually is, okay, so let's have a call or, or plan something in my open calendar. I started working with an open calendar, which drove me crazy actually in the beginning because <laughs> I was just used yeah. you know, to manage my own schedule for like all those years. And now suddenly you see like all those meetings popping up in your agenda. And of course, the first reaction would be, you know, hire an SDR to have those conversations. But those conversations are very different than we had in the past. When we had in the past, you know, some incoming lead, this was a person who actually wanted something from us. They came to us, they already found, the, they had the information, they knew what they wanted from us. So I only had to not give him a coffee, sign the contract and let's get into business, right? That's that actually right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That was, that was how it worked for many years. But now you have these conversations and, you know, you have those people who probably only you know, scanned an email that you sent them or they saw some some message on, on, on LinkedIn, for example, and they thought, okay, whatever, let's, let's reach out to them. So you need to connect like on a whole different level. All those meetings are online. All those meetings are max 30 minutes. Within 30 minutes, you need to create a, a small bond. You need to, you know, find out if there is like, mm. you need to find out enough about this person and you need to be able to, give, you know, like a a very quick pitch of what you can do and decide if there's, let's say, an opportunity for a next one. And that really only works indeed if you are the founder, if you have the authority, if you don't talk about the specific problem, but if you only show and share that you have the experience that other companies, you know, uh, joined us and were successful. And that's that's, that's actually kind of sad that it works like that. Because it means that after, you know, 22 years, having a quite a big company, I'm still doing those first uh, first sales talks. But uh, you do it in Dutch, right? Also, you Dutch do it in English, Dutch. Dutch and English. I mean, there's a lot of international people work, working here. Uh, mm-hmm. So first I thought, oh, my God, wh- 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 where will this bring me? Is, if, is this my future now? But the the amazing thing, actually, and this is like the big game changer for us, is that now we also started uh, thinking more about our storytelling. So uh, during mm-hmm. the summer, I, I read a book again. Uh, you know the, the the famous book by Donald Miller. You know how to build a story brand. Uh, I actually gave the book to my whole marketing team. Everybody read it, and we just created you know our new pitch. Uh, we have one script. 
And if you have like at least 15 of those first time conversations per week, it's an awesome opportunity to tweak your pitch, to get this thing, you know, like super smart. And that, that was awesome. I mean, if, if you are, let's say sitting and relaxing and just waiting for somebody to come in, you don't have to be that sharp. You don't have to think about what is my competitive edge? You know, how do we actually differ from all those other companies out there? Because we have to be honest, you know, after all those years, development capacity kind of became a commodity. Everyone has. Mm. When I started 12 years ago with offering uh, my people from Poland to the clients here, I was kind of new. So everybody was like interested. And now everyone is spammed all day long. So how do you make a pitch? How do you make a story that really holds up? You know, it, it's not just about, you know, defining the ICP. You have to have a razor sharp pitch. Uh, and therefore, you know, you need to have like a very consistent story. So that's what we built over the summer. And I, you know, I, I tested that again, you know, late August when I came back, actually in the middle of August, I thought that the whole world would be on holiday, but I had like 13 meetings booked the, the, the Monday after I came back and I started, you know, like uh, tweaking and pitching this thing. Uh, and it, it worked, you know, it, it really worked. And this is just, let's say, again, the basics, you have to go out there, you have to talk to the market. You need to ask them what they want. You need to tweak the pitch constantly. And only then, you know, you know how you can change your 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 brand, your marketing, your communication. And and that was awesome, actually. Yeah, because what you mentioned about commodity, and we see it so much when we do this uh, strategy and we talk to um, people, especially in this industry, it's really hard to come out, come out with a value proposition uh, when you are doing um, software development for bunch of different companies and a bunch of different industries your value prop was we are cheaper um, yeah. than others or we did this uh, in the past so yeah. it's really really hard and that's yeah. why what you mentioned about story it's so important that you need to have a narrative you yep. need to have a point of view you need to have that narrative relating to the current situation in the market because if you don't have a story a narrative a value proposition a point of view right then it's really hard to build those messagings it's really yeah. hard to even when you ha you are in a conversation what are you telling what are you doing in these pitches in the discovery calls like we have developers in uh, poland and in barcelona and whatever and that's all like yeah yeah <laughs> that was basically our story, like until uh, a year ago. So you know, not I'm, enough. I'm I'm very glad that um, okay, there is a lot of uh, challenges that all these crises bring, but there is one thing: it's awareness uh, among ver a lot of organizations that um, you need to be different to yeah. have some kind of uh, uh, messaging and to pop out from this crowd you need to fucking make your narrative and story and everybody has a story and if you don't have a story go out and make experiences build those stories right yeah. that's the um uh, in the end something that is core right and sometimes we take it just granted that okay we just build some RevOps automations, and we just built some kind of uh, 
buy some fancy tech, right? And uh, because we buy this fancy tech, we push a few buttons, we hire some agency, and that's all. Like, we will fucking fail as an agency if you don't have a story and a, and a um, narrative. And mm -hmm. if you don't have a narrative, then let's build first that before you buy that HubSpot, right? Or whatever right. Salesforce or whatever you have, right? Yeah. But you need that. Now, what's next, uh, Leo? Sorry, I'm just ranting about it because I'm so sometimes frustrated that when yeah. I see when I see that um, an agency or a technology is the solution. It's not fucking the solution. It's it's what what we need is tell your story, who you are, who mm -hmm. are your people. Like, let's do the human uh, part first, and then the techie yeah. part, and then yeah. combine it. It works perfectly. It What's really next is. now with within Amsterdam Standard in this whole um, circumstance? Yeah. Do you see the economy recovering? Do you, what plans do you have with the teams? Um, yeah. How do you see well, 2024? Well, when when we stick to, to this RevOps part, so what I decided is that we will never actually uh, drop investments in sales and marketing anymore. Uh, so of course it's like easy you know once the economy will be back at some point and i i don't see it coming back yet but once it's back you know and once you are being over asked again and you have like dozens of vacancies it's probably quite easy you know to just you know save some money to stop all the efforts that we are putting here right now uh so you know as a ceo i just decided that we will just make it part of our budget which is actually not a new thing. This is also, for example, what Coca-Cola already does for probably a hundred years. They just decide that every year they spend four or five percent of their total revenue on marketing, and that's what we mm -hmm. will also do uh, to prevent situations like this. But another advantage of doing this is that we're getting closer and closer to the companies that we actually want to work for. So in the past, when you're just sitting back and relaxing and waiting for somebody to knock on your door asking for you know, a team, then everybody will probably knock on your door. But now mm. we actually kind of narrowed down a lot. So we started with those four ICPs, with those domains. And by doing this whole journey this year, we talked to so many nice customers who were actually from the uh, uh the domains of sustainability clean tech climate tech and renewable energies and i felt so Sweet. much energy there and i felt that this was really like the thing that actually we should focus on as a company that we decided that we'll go all in on that um i'll, I'll explain you more why but this just helps right so it just really helps us to to narrow down to become really different than all the other companies out there. We'll, you know, update again our story, our script, our marketing materials, and we will just go for that. And that is that is nice. That is really what we always were looking for, uh, a clear specialization. And mm -hmm. it's not only nice, but it's also really something that, you know, can probably... Uh, create a bigger feeling of purpose among our teams so mm -hmm. at the moment we are working for you know like 35 clients all nice mm -hmm. clients super cool you know successful SaaS companies mostly but you know if you look at our company we are pretty much a group of islands so this is a successful team that is a successful team 
but what binds them together, right? You know, is that the company culture? Is that our parties? Is that the office vibe? Well, you know, in, in, in a situation where you're more and more remote, something is missing here and you kind of, you know, miss like this shared mission. Mm. And, you know, for me personally, I've been doing this for like, uh, well, like I said, many times now, more than 20 years. And when I turned 40 a couple of years ago, I also felt like, you know, is, is this everything? What, what did we achieve as a company? What did we bring to this world? Did we make like, you know, this, this world a better place? Well, honestly, I think I'm very proud of the fact that we gave like a super nice workspace to many of our colleagues. You know, we have a lot of guys who are actually with us already like 10 years. Wow. Uh, so that's cool. You know, that's like sort of a proof that this is actually like an, a nice place to be. And for sure, we helped a lot of clients. We made them successful. We made some of them rich. We made companies who actually made an impact. But in general, I don't think that we as, as a company were done yet. And I think we can do more. And if, you know, I, I'm a father of two. If I, if I look around what's happening in the world, if you see all the, you know, the natural disasters happening now last summer, it was crazy, you know. The whole Europe was on fire. So we also, you know, want to take more responsibility. We actually want to use all the smart brains that we have in our company to focus, you know, on those companies that are actually trying to make, you know, a difference in this world. So we want to, you know, focus on sustainability, clean tech, climate tech, renewable energy. And it's cool, you know, I've, I've had at least like 60 conversations with, with tech founders uh, that are in there. And that is only because of the fact that for the first time we went out there, we had a big campaign. And I have to say that here, the cold email campaign was actually the most successful one. And I had like all those conversations with people who are, you know, making a new product. They are building a battery in the sea to, you know, to store energy or they're making some uh, carbon dioxide machines that are just sucking it out of the air or whatever. There's like so many nice things out there that I really felt like, okay, so here, this is this is where we have to go to this. You know, we already have like a few clients uh, from those domains who brought like extremely nice uh, products and results to the world. And we will just specialize more. This is what we are going for. And uh, yeah, and, and by doing that, you know, we also have to, of course, change our own company. We have to be, you know, the, the best uh, kid in class. So we as an IT company will show how the next year we can already reduce our carbon footprint by 50%. And then in the next year, in 2025, uh, you know, we will be on neutral. So we will have no carbon footprint anymore. Uh, and that is, just, that is just what we want. Uh, and that is, you know, what we will also uh, show in our storytelling, why we're doing that, you know, how we also use this knowledge to help our clients, the clients from those domains. But of course, we also have a lot of existing clients that we also, you know, want to inspire, that we want to show this, this you know, this new direction and that we also want to, you know, maybe, um, yeah, in, in some way, you know, uh, learn how they can do better. Uh, and we, of course, want to be an inspiration for other IT companies. So that's that's actually what's what's up next. So that's what we're doing in December, January. Coming back to your question, if I see the economy changing already, no. For the for the you know the current climate, I don't see uh, a lot of changes. The, really, the the global interest rate, the European interest rate, and and the one in in the US has to drop first before investments will you know come back. 
But for us, it really doesn't matter actually, because now that we are going into this, you know, this direction of clean tech, climate tech, that is actually something where still a lot of money is flowing around and where there is enough budget for innovation. And that is because those companies are not only driven by investment, but also by government grants, by new laws, by the European deal, by the CSDR that is being implemented in Europe next year, you know, uh, for all the big companies out there. And um, that's, that's basically it. So this is really, you know, like a, a new direction for us. It gives us a lot of energy. It gives us more purpose as a company. And yeah, I'm actually yeah. quite excited about that. Yeah, being a change agent, right? So going into uh, getting that subject matter expertise, uh, mm-hmm. using uh, marketing as a tool, and these uh, on your on telling your story uh, to inspire your clients, to inspire yep. other uh, other companies, yep. and, and our people, huh? also our people. So exactly, and and yep. having the uh, giving that purpose to. Uh, yeah. Internally to the um, to the people, uh, it's a great mission. Uh, I I I really hope that uh, you you will succeed, and I am um, proud that uh, that uh, I met a company that one year ago. You know, you guys didn't have that uh, that team, and 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 somehow maybe I contributed to the to light a little bit <laughs> there the idea that okay. Um, there is still hope in uh, in marketing if it's done in a, in a right way for the right causes, right? Um, thanks a lot for this. It was a great uh, um, interview and podcast episode. And I hope that you are also running a podcast episode, right? Like what what you are doing in 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 that. Tell us more a bit so that uh, people uh, can tune in. Maybe some nice stories from there. I am. I I just started my my podcast series. I think uh, six six seven weeks ago. Uh, I'm mostly uh, interviewing founders about their personal roller coaster. So I'm mm-hmm. not so interested actually in in their business achievements. I really like to find out, you know, what drove them to actually start a company. You know, what were the highlights? What were the, the fallbacks? How did they handle? Uh, shit uh, and everything. So, and um, yeah, I mean, this is also, of course, because we have so many nice relations. We have so many nice also co-founders that are joined in other companies that have like great stories that really deserve like a nice spot. Uh, so yeah, the podcast is the is the perfect place for that. So what, what was the name of the podcast? How can we find it? It's uh, called Building the Dream. And it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Podcast, and on mm. Podimo. I yeah. listened to to the one with the the, the guy with the photo. Yeah, that bought the Daniel. BMW and he made the money, yeah. and then he yeah, regretted yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, I found uh, his story really cool, yeah. and that, that's nice that you can do it also in Amsterdam and have have that bond with them. So it's a great yeah. um, ecosystem, also for that, right? Yeah, yeah, and with with those podcasts, I just hope to inspire like new entrepreneurs uh, or entrepreneurs who have uh, also a difficult time, you know. Because uh, I'm mostly now interviewing people who have worked on their companies for more than I would say 10, 15 years, 
and it's never just a success show. So there is always some, you know, some some fallbacks and some difficult years and some some moments that you actually want to close your company. So with this podcast, I just try to show, you know, what it really takes to become successful, to build a mm -hmm. successful big company. And, you know, those founders, they have uh, amazing stories. So it's uh, it's really uh, it's really nice. To What's your latest episode for, for the people to know? And who is it about? My my latest episode, unfortunately, it's in Dutch. I I, I wanted to experiment with that a little bit. So uh -huh. how, how comfortable is doing it in English or in Dutch? Uh, so my latest episode is with uh, with Ruben. He mm -hmm. built the biggest online ticketing platform uh, in Europe before he sold it to Eventbrite, mm. uh, a US company. Then he went there. He lived uh, near San Francisco, and then he came back a few years later. It's a extremely nice story. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but unfortunately, so I, I, I think that's interesting that you do it in Dutch. But I think that uh, with the new technology, at least I saw that you can even translate it so yeah, in the future you might do it in dutch but i can listen it in in english and maybe someone can listen to this in spanish or whatever yeah. so that would be interesting um sure. thanks a lot for this and um, sure. last uh, question is about one book that you recommend to all founders that have similar stories mm -hmm. and one learning for similar founders for similar companies um from this whole one year experience uh, roller coaster that you had uh, this year well that's going to be an easy one for me because i'm not a big reader <laughs> so <laughs> I, i didn't read a book for like many years so the only book that i actually read this year was uh, building a story brand by donald miller and i found it was like uh amazing this was like a really a big eye opener for me it learned uh, me how successful stories actually always follow the same script and how you can easily apply with the framework that they bring, how you can apply that to your own company. And, and this that is also is... from Hollywood. They bring a lot of stories, right? Sorry? From movies and from Hollywood, yeah. they also follow a similar storyline, right? With the yeah, hero so and so on. That's basically the plot of the book. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Every big story. So for example, the, the Harry Potter movies, you know, they all follow this script where you have seven elements and those elements are also the same elements that successful companies use in their story actually that they tell mm. to their customers and it, once you realize that it's such a big eye-opener uh and then you can easily apply it to your marketing materials you can update your website and everything uh yeah so that was a that was a, a huge game changer for us already Uh, unfortunately, the only recommendation, but for sure the best recommendation uh, <laughs> that I have, yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, uh, Leo. Thanks a lot, guys, for tuning in. And um, don't forget to give us a thumbs up or give us a... Actually, the best way to, to, to tell us uh, that we good, did a good job is to just rate us uh, on uh, Apple Podcast. Thanks a lot, Leo. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Thank you, uh, Romeo, for having me. Have a good evening.